Welcome to another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to thehiresidechats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Fireside Chats. Who you gonna call higher side chatters from sunny San Diego? I'm Greg Carlwood, just trying to find my way through a world gone mad. We've seen the trend for a long time now, but each new year seems to have kicked it up a notch and only exacerbated the thought of, well, I didn't expect it to get this bad. Enter the COVID era and we've been getting a cosmic masterclass in the illogical actions of a people fueled by fear, selfishness, anger, and all the ingredients in the worst soup of human emotions. And with all the great conversations we've had about unseen spiritual influences and the great Earth play, you'd certainly expect them to be involved here as well, and it seems they've been juicing up. But this isn't just the wild speculation of a few rogue scholars, because many of the brightest minds in nearly every previous or indigenous culture on this human energy farm has sensed these beings of darkness and warned against their influence. The Gnostics called them Archons, Rudolf Steiner called them Lucifer and Ahriman, Carl Jung called it the Shadow, and some just refer to trickster spirits. But in every religion, spiritual tradition, and even grimoire, you'll find warnings against the influence of nefarious beings from the other side. Well, Wetiko is the term used by many of the Algonquin-speaking tribes of North America and the preferred term of today's guest Paul Levy. Over 40 years ago, Paul had a life-transforming spiritual awakening experience that would likely be considered a call to a shamanic path in many other cultures. But in ours, it was diagnosed as a psychotic break and he was repeatedly hospitalized and told he was mentally ill. The abuse he subsequently received from psychiatry destroyed his family and almost killed him. But he has emerged from the other side as a spiritual teacher, healer, and author of several great books, including Dispelling Wetiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil, Awakened by Darkness, When Evil Becomes Your Father, Quantum Revelation, A Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality, and Hitting the Shelves by the Time This Hits Your Ears, his latest book is called Wetiko, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. And if you ask me, this is definitely the right time and place to examine just such a thing. You can find more of Paul's work and his personal practice at awakeninthedream.com, and it is a pleasure to have him here. The enlightening educator and mind virus transmutator holding back the wild and stormy waters of Watiko, Paul Levy, welcome to the higher side. Hi, yeah, I'm just so happy to be here with you, Greg, today. Thank you. Yeah, man. Likewise. And thanks for doing it, because I've gotten several requests to have you on over the last couple of years, and I'm glad we are making it happen in the COVID era, because the need for it has never been more obvious. Of course, very few people are thinking about all the COVID operation aspects in a spiritual context, but as the saying goes, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. And so for our culture, which is largely ignorant of such things, this sort of material seems more important than ever, wouldn't you say? Oh, completely. I mean, you know, I've been talking for 25 years about that we're in the middle of a collective psychosis, and a lot of people would just scratch their head wondering what made me think that. And it's become obvious. I mean, you know, it couldn't be more obvious that our species has fallen into a collective madness that we're acting out on the world stage. And if we don't come to terms with it, you know, it's clear we're killing ourselves. We're destroying the biosphere, the life support system of this planet. And I'm in a 
particularly interesting position because like you had said in the intro over 40 years ago i had this breakthrough breakdown like a huge spiritual awakening that propelled me so completely out of consensus reality things began happening in my life that weren't just you know synchronistic or amazing they were physically impossible and i didn't realize it at the time but something was actually being shown to me and i was beginning to realize the dreamlike nature of reality but while that was happening concurrent with that i kept on being hospitalized and told oh i'm crazy and i've gone mentally ill and i knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that wasn't true and that's what saved me and so here i am fast forward 40 years later and I'm, you know, one of the people who's able to diagnose and point out the collective madness that we've fallen into. And, you know, like I'm saying, if we don't really come to terms, it's revealing something to us that's most important for us to know. And if we don't have the realization of that, then we're doomed. Mm-hmm. Yes, well said. We are off to the races. And so from the intro of your new book, you say, Watiko in a nutshell, a contagious psycho-spiritual disease of the soul, a parasite of the mind. It is currently being acted out in mass on the world stage via an insidious collective psychosis of titanic proportions. And that is a great way to get people excited about the concept of Watiko. And it seems like there's an almost limitless way of explaining or getting at what this is and different angles to come at it. But what else would you say about introducing folks to this influence? Sure. Well, it's so funny because, you know, I've had some people, they'll accuse me of, oh, you're just uh, really out there and woo-woo and new agey. And the radical thing I'm saying in my work is that the origin, the very source of the problem that's creating all of the myriad world crises and the source of the solution of those problems is to be found within the psyche. That's the radical thing I'm saying. And, and think about it, collective madness, the source of that is our psyche. And so the thing about Watiko, it's a psycho-spiritual disease of the soul, but it's quantum in nature. And what I mean by that is that encoded within the pathology, because it's the source of all the evil we're playing out in the world, but encoded, hidden within the pathology is its own vaccine, is its own medicine. But if we don't have the recognition of what it's revealing to us, it's going to kill us. But if we have the recognition of, oh, something is being shown to us, something in our unconscious, then all of a sudden it connects us with ourselves in a deeper way. It unlocks the most incredible creative agency. That's our nature that we all have, but we don't know we have it. And so, like, one way of understanding Watiko is because we're unconscious of our nature, of our creative power and our creative nature, then that creative spirit gets turned against us. And I can say a lot more about that because the thing about Watiko, it has no creativity at all, but it plugs into our creativity if we're unawake to it. And then it turns our own creative nature against us to serve its agenda. And that's why so many people are acting out stuff in their lives, whether individually through addictions or supporting politicians who are actually supporting policies that are actually not serving them. So, so many people are investing their energy in ways that aren't serving them. What's at the bottom of that is the Watiko bug. Mm -hmm. Yes, I also had this in my notes that I like where you say it covertly operates through the unconscious blind spots in the human psyche rendering people oblivious to their own madness and compelling them to act against their own best interests. Watiko is a psychosis in the true sense of the word. It bewitches our consciousness so that we become blind to the underlying assumed viewpoint through which we perceive, conjure up, and give meaning to our experience of both the world and ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, that's very well said. I guess elaborate on that a little bit more. Right. I was thinking, God, I couldn't have said it better myself. But no, that's, yeah. that's really it. Because Watiko, it's a form of blindness. But it's a really peculiar form of blindness because it's a type of blindness that does not know that it's blind. And not only does it not know that it's blind, it thinks it's actually sighted. And not only does it think it's sighted, it thinks it's more sighted than people who are actually seeing. 
And so Watiko, it's an all-around blindness in that it's blind to that it's blind. It's blind. It can't see its own. When somebody's afflicted with the person can't see their own shadow and their own darkness. And they also can't see their own light. So Watiko, it kind of takes away our ability to see, particularly in the way that's most important, in that we can't see it. It hides in our blind spots. And the thing about Watiko, not only does it hide in our blind spots, but it operates through the projective tendencies of our mind. And we're always projecting. We're projecting onto the waking inkblot of this world. And when we project, we interpret. We have this meaning that we superpose onto what's happening. And the thing is, though, because this reality is dreamlike, as soon as we interpret this waking inkblot in a certain way, similar to how a dream, keep think about what a dream is. A dream is a projection of the mind. It's reflecting the mind. As soon as we interpret the inkblot of the dream in a certain way, instantaneously, not over time, but in zero time, the dream being a reflection of our mind instantaneously reflects back our interpretation, which confirms to us oh, what we're seeing is objectively true. So we become even more fixed in our viewpoint. And the more fixed in, in whatever the viewpoint is, the more the dream just reflects it back. And basically, we've hypnotized ourselves, thinking that what we're seeing is objectively true. And as soon as we think the world is objective, we've created ourselves as a subject that's separate from the object of the world. And that's Watiko, because then we've literally hypnotized ourselves. We've entranced ourselves. And I'm describing that in a night dream, but it totally maps on to the waking dream. And what I'm describing, this is what quantum physics has discovered, because quantum physics is offering us the medicine for Watiko. So I, I can just say a lot more about this, but it's all based on this reality being a shared collective dream. And that's what I was realizing 40 years ago when I was thrown in hospitals and told I was mentally ill. Right on. Yes, that was exactly the next thing I wanted to ask you about was the structure of reality, because we got to zoom out to give people context and put Wetiko within the larger framework. We're talking about dreams and spirits and consciousness and the physical plane. You mentioned the field in the book a fair amount. Help people get a handle on how these things fit together into a holistic worldview and relate to each other. Sure, sure. Well, the field, Albert Einstein has a famous quote where he's saying the field is the only reality, or I'm paraphrasing, but that's very close. And the field, for example, quantum physics has discovered, empirically proved, I mean, there's no doubt that this cosmos being quantum in nature, that means that there's no separate parts interacting. It's all seamless, seamlessly whole. You know, there's no separation. So the field, it's not localized, it's a non-local, which means it transcends third dimensional space and time, where every part of the non-local field is interconnected with every other part because they're not separated in space or in time. And it's only when you begin, you know, there are these ways that I describe how to see Watiko, because the whole point is to see Watiko. Because if we don't see it, then it operates through our blind spots. And then we unwittingly become an instrument for it to act itself out in the world, destructively serving its agenda as it kills us. And that's what's happening in the world. So one of the ways to see Watiko is to have the recognition that there's a non-local field in which we're all contained and of which we're all expressions. And to begin to see that is to begin to snap out of the imagination of the separate self. Because if you remember, I was saying, as soon as we think the world exists objectively, then we concurrently conjure ourselves up as a subject that's in relationship to the object. And all of a sudden, there's a duality. And as soon as we identify with a separate self, there's others. And as soon as there's others, there's fear. And fear is the superfood for Watiko. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the point is, in the non-local field, seeing through the imagination of the separate self and having the recognition that we don't exist as separate selves, 
that we exist, we're interdependent with each other, we're interconnected with each other. There is no separate self. And that is, in a sense, equivalent to seeing the non-local field. And one other way of describing it, it's like three aspects of the same deeper sort of this gem that are all part of the same jewel is to actually see the dreamlike nature. Because when you see the dreamlike nature, like say if you're in a night dream and you have awareness that you're dreaming, what do you see? You recognize that all the other characters in the dream are just aspects of you, that there's no separation. And so to see the dreamlike nature, to see through the imagination of the separate self and to see the non-local field, those are ways of describing when you're beginning to snap out of the spell of Watiko, because Watiko, before I found the name Watiko, I had written a book and I was talking about Watiko, but I didn't know the name. I called it malignant egophrenia, M-E disease, me disease. It's a misidentification of who we think we are. And that's in essence Watiko. Mm-hmm. Well, on the subject of the names for it, I did mention a couple of analogs in the intro, like Archons or Young's Shadow, but maybe you can talk to us a bit more about the cross-cultural references to a being like this, because they're everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's in my new book, the one that's just coming out. I mean, that's one of the major parts of the book, is I'm pointing out that in every spiritual tradition, every single one, from time immemorial, they're pointing at Watiko. But they're not using the name Watiko, they're calling it a different name. And creative artists and philosophers and thinkers, they're all pointing at Watiko. So it's not important what the name is, but the idea is, you know, by finding the name, like in a fairy tale, then you're objectifying it, then you see it, then you take away its power over you. So it's important to just whatever name suits us to call this, it's like this parasite of the mind. Now, in the apocryphal texts, they talk about Watiko, they call it the counterfeiting spirit, but it was edited out of the Bible. And I point out in my book that, well, that's because Watiko was on the editorial board of the Bible because it can't stand to be exposed. Now, the counterfeiting spirit that is Watiko, here's its strategy. What it does, it actually, like I was saying, it has no creativity, but it's a master impersonator. So it puts us on. And putting us on has two meanings. It's like putting us on like a suit of clothes, but putting us on means to fool us. It's the trickster. So it presents us with this image of ourselves, this limited version of ourselves, or this grandiose version of ourselves. But it presents us not with the real self, but with a fictitious version of ourselves. Because the thing about Watiko, it has no power over us whatsoever as long as we're actually connected with who we are, with our true nature then it can't touch us. So what its strategy is, it impersonates us. It offers us a simulation of who we are. And if we're not awake in that moment and we identify with its fictitious version of ourselves, then it has us. Then it can manipulate that false identity and it can control that false identity. And if you think about what just happened, in that moment, we actually, you see, Watiko can't steal our soul, but it can trick us into giving it away. So what we've done, we've given ourself away, we've identified with who we're not, and we've disconnected from our creative agency. That's a recipe for madness. And that, in essence, is Watiko. Right on. Great summary. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for this theme of reflection and trying to get at our true nature of interconnectedness. But let me ask you this, because I feel like I have pretty good self-awareness. Of course, there are always blind spots, but I've been having conversations like these and reflecting on them for like 10 years now. And when I hear phrases like what we see in the outer world is just a reflection of our inner world, it sounds nice and deep. But when I see the guy at the store with three sets of gloves and four masks on yelling at the cashier or people wishing death on the unvaccinated and saying they shouldn't be allowed to travel or access groceries, I don't see how that's a reflection of anything in me. I try to have empathy for everyone and understand how captured they are by this. I don't wish harm on them. I see the totalitarian surveillance state creeping in more and more, and that's certainly the antithesis of my philosophy and desired way of life. 
And the response always seems to be, well, you're just not aware of it, or you're just not looking deep enough. And I want to say, or that's just not accurate. And this stuff is not a reflection of anything in me. And it's like you're getting painted into a logical cul-de-sac that sounds a bit condescending. Speak to this a bit if you could. Help me out here. Yeah, for sure. And I want to, I want, I want to, but like, I would love to talk about the totalitarian stuff. That's something that I've been tracking too. And I, I can connect that to Watiko in a way that really might help. I mean, I totally get what you're saying. And when you see this as a dream, that guy at the supermarket who has three masks and has gotten, you know, a zillion vaccines with boosters <laughs> and is afraid within six feet, that is a part of us because he's a dream character or she's a dream character. And by definition, you know, think about it, you have a dream and imagine in that dream that you have, you go into a supermarket and that character is there, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you're having all this judgment on that person or you're feeling separate or you're going through a process of, oh, well, that's not a reflection of me, you know, in the night dream. And then you wake up from the dream and you realize, oh my God, that was just a dream. Well, guess what? Every character in a dream is an aspect of you. And so that character in the supermarket wearing the three masks, that's some sort of incredibly fear-based part of you that's fallen under the spell, that feels really separate, that is being controlled by fear. There it is in embodied form in your dream, and you don't recognize it. But that's a part of you because who you are, like say if you're in a dream, and you're on planet Earth, and there are billions of other humans on the planet with you, right? And then you wake up, and they're all some of good and bad, or smart or stupid or whatever. And you wake up from the dream, and you realize, oh my God, that was just a dream. All of those eight billion characters in my dream were aspects of me. So what I'm pointing out is that when you begin to awaken, and we're all awakening, and we're all in process, I'm totally a work in process, you know. But the point is, when you really tap into that deep awakening, you recognize, oh, my God, I'm all of it. Instead of identifying with the skin encapsulated ego, with this separate self, you begin to have the realization that who you are, that you're not separate from anyone. That's what it means to see through this separate self. And the energetic expression of that realization is compassion. Because to go back to your example, if you're in that supermarket and you have a judgment about that clerk who's wearing the three masks, and then you're saying, no, that's not a reflection of me. They're separate from me. They're just under the spell. Well, that's how Watiko is working through you. Yeah, they might be taken over by Watiko by having fallen into fear. But in your reaction, you become a vector to feed the Watiko in the field. That's why the medicine par excellence for Watiko is compassion, because compassion spontaneously is the expression of when we see through the separate self and recognize that we aren't separate. Mm -hmm. Well, touche, Paul. Maybe you got me. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's kind of like Lone Milo Duquette says, it's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And then if I could just comment on, you had mentioned the totalitarian forces that are creeping all over the world. And, and I totally recognize that. Sure. And because for me, I have a combination of just, you know, what's happening in the world you know, I really study it and go down the rabbit hole as best I can and trip out on it and find it incredibly amazing. And it's unbelievably frightening, particularly the totalitarian forces. Now, here's how to connect that with Watiko. So Watiko is a virus of the mind. That's a way of thinking about it. But it's amazing phenomena because it's an inner disease of the soul that actually is able to extend itself out into the world so as to configure events in the world such that these events reflect back the inner state of a psyche under the thrall of Watiko. Now, I should just point out, when you have the recognition, like of that supermarket clerk, the outer is reflecting that inner part of you, that's a dream. Because what is a dream but our inner process that's just externalized as the dreamscape? So... Getting back to Watiko, it's an inner disease of the soul that actually elaborates itself, extends itself, and explicates itself through the medium of the outside world by configuring seemingly outer events. So in the collected works, Jung 
is pointing at Watiko all throughout the collected works, but he doesn't have the name for it. And he keeps on calling it different names. But the one name that he calls it the majority of times is totalitarian psychosis. Okay. Now, here's how Watiko works when it's in a psyche, when it's in an individual. It colonizes the psyche. It hijacks the executive function of the psyche. It creates a shadow government of the psyche. It dictates to the ego. It subsumes all the healthy parts of the psyche to serve its nefarious agenda. And all the while, the person who's afflicted has no idea because the part of them that's supposed to be the monitor to keep out outside invaders has been captured by Watiko. Okay. Now that's an inner condition of an individual psyche who's taken over by Watiko. Now think about the totalitarian forces that are, you know, happening all over the world. What I just described about how that happens inside of a person's psyche is actually what's happening in the outer world. And the thing about Watiko and totalitarian psychosis is that it's like this virus and a virus mutates. A virus becomes a hybrid of itself. It continually transforms. Now, the totalitarian forces in the 20th century, think of like World War II with Nazi Germany. They were very overt and militarily invading countries. That wouldn't fly right now. So the totalitarian, that virus actually has mutated to become hidden so that we don't recognize it. So many of my friends who are really well-intentioned, bright people, I'll talk about the totalitarian forces that are operating in so many ways, and they're just blind to it. They're just, no, 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 that was with Trump, and he's out of office. Now we're all good. And I just shake my head going, are you kidding me? But that's the spell we're under. Yeah, I think that's a great way to explain a lot of this. I thought this was interesting, but to quote the new book again, you say, in this section, I write about the coronavirus pandemic from the dreaming point of view, seeing it as a phenomenon that we have all dreamed up in our world and interpreting it like I would a dream symbolically. I do so in order to decipher the deeper levels of symbolic meaning that are encoded within it so as to be able to receive the potential lessons and gifts that it's offering us. Well, I find that interesting because we sometimes speculate that people who have real influence in this reality are aware of these mechanisms and use things like mass media and movies to sort of steer the collective unconscious where they want it. And given this huge uptick in movies like Outbreak and Contagion and the nauseating amount of zombie movies, you could make a good case that we were primed to manifest this particular nightmare and all the government action around it. Of course, that's all still kind of within the game, but it seems like they kind of seed ideas for us to dream up. Yeah, but here's the thing, and there's truth to that, you know, absolutely. But even the people in positions of influence and power, they themselves are pawns in the hands of the deeper formless archetype. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that when you see this as a dream, and what I mean by that is, say, if you had a dream just last night and you've woken up and you're writing it down and you're contemplating, what does it mean? And the dream was, oh, my God, there's this pandemic and there's like this lockdown and, you know, exactly what's happening in the world today was happening in your dream. Well, how would you interpret that? And what I would point out is that there's a deeper archetypal energy that's incarnating in our world. And the people who are the billionaires or the ones in positions of power, like I was saying, they're just the pawns through which the archetype is giving shape to itself. So something of a higher dimension, and I would say what that is, has to do everything with evil. But the thing is, is I'm just a translator. I'm just translating this wisdom from every spiritual tradition in the Kabbalah and the indigenous traditions in Buddhism. Christianity, Hawaiian Kahuna, Islam, they're all saying the same thing in this way that I'll just give you an example, like Rudolf Steiner, the great clairvoyant, he was saying, and I talk about this not in, I think it's in my next book, because I, I have another book coming out on Watiko, because it's such an important topic in 2022. He actually says the most momentous event of our time is what he calls the incarnation of the etheric Christ. It's the second coming. But he's saying 
that this Christ is not going to come in a physical male body or on a chariot or anything like that. No, that this energy is incarnating through the psyche of humanity. But before we can actualize that incarnation of the etheric Christ, Steiner says we have to encounter the beast. We have to encounter radical evil. You know that those aren't two separate events. Think about the Christ event, right? As Christ himself incarnated in this world and he's the incarnation of the light. What happened at that exact moment? All of a sudden, Satan appeared. That's not unrelated. Those are parts of the same deeper archetype. And that's what I'm pointing at. You know, people talk about this being apocalyptic times. Well, the meaning, as people know, the apocalypse is something hidden is being revealed. And psychologically, you know, so what the meaning of apocalypse and the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, is the incarnation of the self. And we're actually participating in that through our individuation. And so we're all called to confront our own personal shadow, but also there's an archetypal shadow. And the point is, you see, what the medicine is, there's two ways of describing the medicine for Watiko. On the one hand, like I've been saying, it's to connect with our true nature, to remember who we are. The other way of really creating the medicine for Watiko, because we already are in possession of the medicine. It's like we have this magic wand, but we don't know we have it. Or if we know we have it, we don't know how to implement it. So we have everything we need. We don't need anything outside of ourselves. But the other medicine is for us to connect with our creative spirit. Because if you remember what Tico, I was saying, it plugs into our creativity to the extent that we're not awake to it, and it turns our creativity against us. And when you see this as a dream, you know, what's happening in the world right now, and you interpret it that way, well, I would say, well, clearly, if it was one person's dream, you're not in touch with your creative agency. Take a look at what's happening. Forces outside of yourself, the state, are picking up your own, this own creativity and using it against you. That's Watiko. So Watiko, it actually obscures our creative spirit, but it actually spurs it. It activates it. So the point is that this medicine for Watiko, not only to connect with who we are, but for us to actually connect with our nature and our nature is creative. And the more we connect with our creative nature, the more we express ourselves creatively. And the more we express ourselves creatively, the more we know our nature. And doing that, we're then participating in the second coming. That's what Steiner is saying. That's what this is all about. Very well said. I definitely agree with your comments about apocalypse. Its truest definition is as a revealing. So if you've been in denial of all the horrors of this matrix world, then it definitely can feel like everything is crumbling. And maybe it is. That's the interpretation part kind of depends on how vested you are in this matrix level of reality. But as for the two aspects of the medicine inside Watiko, connecting to our true nature and connecting with our creative spirit, well, if we're all gripped and possessed by Watiko to some extent, from the capstone cabal right on down to little old us, what's really the value of us being aware of it when the real influencers of our world are just going to carry out all of its dark desires anyway? Because we can acknowledge this possession aspect and try to transmutate it in our own lives, but is it really medicine if it doesn't depossess the nefarious elite? It might be a new way to look at the world, and it might even be more accurate, but how does it create the change that we might want to see but seems outside of our means? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like being in a dream. And when you're in a dream, people have said to me, oh, I have these lucid dreams, and then I control the dream. And I know right away that they don't know what they're talking about, that they're not having a lucid dream, because if you're having a lucid dream, it makes no sense at all to control the seemingly outer dream, because you recognize that's not separate from you. Why would you control that? That's just an expression of fear and not feeling safe. But what you would be in control of is yourself. Okay, so that's important. The idea being that, yeah, there are certain, you know, the powers that be have certain, you know, whether it's the surveillance, whatever the digital technology, they have enormous power in a certain way. But what they can't touch, and there's this mind control technology, but we're the ones who are the arbiters and who choose our attitude. 
and how we interpret and the meaning we place on things. You know, we would have to give that over and that's an act that we're colluding with. And so we actually have this incredibly, unimaginably vast creative power to shape our experience, to literally create our experience of ourselves and of the world. And there's no one who can take that from us. And as long as we're in touch with that, you know, then our connection with ourselves and the connection with our creative spirit, you know, is ever, you know, just getting deeper. And by doing that energetically, non-locally, that's getting registered throughout the non-local field, which is to say it makes it easier for other people to do the same. So, you know, people who are really, because I know so many people, and I see that part of me that can easily get into pessimism and despair and depression about how dark things look and, oh, there's no hope and I'm helpless and all that. And that's the illusion. That's to give yourself over to Watiko. And then quantum physics comes in and says, no, wait a second. Each and every moment, there is these incredible, any and every possibility that could ever happen is existing in potential until the moment we observe it. And then all of those potential realities collapse into one actual reality. And that experience is happening each and every moment. What that means is that even if something is highly, ridiculously unlikely, it could manifest in this very moment. And, you know, when you realize that, it creates this incredible positive energy, this upliftment, this hope. Because if we fall into despair and pessimism, then we need somebody to help to heal us. We can't be of any help for what's happening in the world. And it's just so important for us to, to recognize the dreamlike nature. And we're the dreamers, each of us. And we're collectively dreaming. You see, Watiko is a dreamed up phenomena that we unconsciously, because dreams are expressions of our unconscious, are dreaming up into the world so as to awaken us. But if we don't recognize what it's revealing, because it's a revelation, Watiko is a revelation, okay? If we don't recognize what it's revealing to us, like I've been saying, then we're doomed to continue to destroy ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all really interesting, and I don't want to get too hung up on this, but if we look at reality as a collective dream, it seems like the worst parts of it are not really the collective dreams and desires of the whole, but the actions of a powerful few. So I don't know about destroying ourselves or why these few have so much more manifestation juice compared to the rest of us, but I do think it's important to connect with our creative spirit, and I think many of us would like to manifest and co-create a better reality, so how can we use this information to do that and bring about something more universally pleasant? Yeah, they're a minority, a small minority. And there are actual people, you know, who are controlling the levers of power. And unfortunately, people who go up the ladder to that level of power typically, you know, have unresolved power issues and tend to be psychopathic. I mean, that's unfortunate. But the answer to your question has to do with the individual. Because to create laws or legislation, that can help, but that's not the way. And it's not that that's not good. That's part of it. But I'll just give you an example. For an individual, if we're blind to Watiko, like a lot of spiritual people, new age, well-intentioned, they're of the opinion, oh, I don't want to put my attention on evil. I don't want to, because if I'm putting my attention, I'm feeding it. You know, and that's true up to a point. But if you're avoiding taking a look at the darkness that's happening in the world and the darkness in yourself and your complicity with the darkness in the world, that turning away, that's turning this blind eye, and that's to feed Watiko. So if you turn a blind eye to the darkness, you're feeding Watiko. If you become overly fascinated with it, well, then you're feeding it too. But if you see Watiko and you see how it works non-locally through the outside world, through configuring the field, because whenever we bring light to the darkness, if you notice the field configures itself to protect the darkness. That's showing us how Watiko works and how it works in our own mind. It works through our unconscious reactions. So when you see how Watiko works, both outer in the world, inner in ourselves, and you actually, okay, I see you, 
Now, as a sovereign being, I get to invest where I place my attention. And I want to invest my awareness and my attention in creating the world I want to live in. That's the way. When you do that, Watiko has no power over you. And then when you connect with other people who are also switched on and doing that, you can put what I call the sacred power of dreaming together. And you can, in a real way, dream a new dream, a waking dream, this life into materialization. And the way to understand this, this isn't new age, woo-woo, magical thinking. Imagine being in a night dream and imagine you have lucidity. What have you realized? Oh my God, this is all my own mind. I'm inside my psyche. Now imagine other of the dream characters also have that realization, right? And you hang out together, you connect with each other and you contemplate, what are we understanding? What are we having the realization of? Oh my God, this collective dream we're sharing, we're dreaming it. It's a function of we're dreaming it up into materialization. When you get enough people who get in phase with each other and in sync with each other, based on that realization, they realize they can use that sacred power of dreaming in a way to change the dream. And that's evolutionary. And that's what we're invited to step into and to participate in consciously. And that's what this is all about. Okay. And that's what my whole work is about. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good perspective. And if we adopt this worldview of accepting the darkness as part of ourselves and really focusing on the deepest interconnectedness of all things and interpreting events and how they affect us as if they were a dream, you know, that's not to say we should acquiesce in a nihilistic way or a passive way to the totalitarianism, but it actually should give you the strength to stand up to it if that's the role you choose to play. And I think that's kind of a, a good way to potentially look at it because you could say, well, if it's all a dream and the darkness is just part of myself, then nothing really matters and I should just let them march me off to the quarantine camp. But really, I think if you accept that you have a role to play and that this is your dream, maybe you stand up to it in a way that you wouldn't have without that worldview. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because the point is, is that we're all like, even I think about myself, I'm just playing a role. And it's not like other people need to write books or be like talking or giving interviews about Watiko or anything else. No, this was just my role. Like when I wake up in the morning, I don't have the slightest doubt of what I'm here to do. And I've been fortunate. And so then that brings us to the contemplation of, yeah, what is our role? Each of us have our role. Some of it, it might just be being a good father or mother or whatever. And one way to understand this, the thing about the Watiko energy, it's a mind virus that's a daimonic energy. So it's not just a personal energy. It's a transpersonal energy. It's an archetypal energy. And the word daimon, it's a higher dimensional energy that can take over a person. It can possess a person so that they act it out. And there are certain people. Who I think we've all seen at certain moments, oh, well, they're taken over by something. They're, you could say, oh, they're possessed by Watiko. And that's what's actually happening. Now, the meaning of Daimon is the guiding spirit, the inner voice. It connects us to our genius, helps us to find our vocation, our calling, and to find our voice. And encoded in the Daimon is the creative spirit. So the idea is to get into a relationship with this higher self part of ourselves, with the daimon, with our genius, with our angel or guiding spirit, whatever. There are a million names in all traditions pointing at this energy. But if we don't get in conscious relationship, it's just like being in an intimate relationship with a person. If you don't develop a conscious relationship with the daimon, it constellates negatively and becomes a demon. And that's what Watiko is. Can be likened to a demon. Right. And to alchemically transmutate Watiko and use it for its medicine, as you say, connecting to our true nature and connecting to our creative spirit, what would you say to those who feel like they need more guidance? Maybe they understand what the medicine is inside there, but they're having a hard time applying it to their own life, connecting to the creative spirit. 
Give us some guidance on how to better do that and what it could do for us. For sure. And on the one hand, we all, it can be incredibly helpful to have teacher or mentor. I mean, I've had incredible number of just amazing teachers in my life. So that itself can be helpful. I think about myself. So for years, I was like, well, you know, who am I or how do I describe myself? Or, and then at a certain point, I realized, well, I'm, I'm a wounded healer. And I say that because I'm so in touch with the depth of my woundedness of going through the trauma, you know, because I had to go through. I, I mean, I just made the slightest little reference to it at the beginning of this talk. But the idea I had to go through this unbelievable wounding and dealing with this incredible abuse from my father. But that's not important, the story of it and just the trauma and the wounding of it. And that constellated the wounded healer archetype. And so you know, that was really dangerous because I could have been caught by that or stuck in that or identified with that. But then the archetype has to do with by going through the woundedness, you actually discover your gift. And this is related to the shaman archetype. And I, I can talk about this in a bit, but the point that I'm wanting to get to, so here I become, I'm an author, I'm a creative writer. And every morning I wake up and like this little turtle, when, they, when they're born on the shore and the, out of their eggs, they instinctively just crawl to the ocean. When I wake up in the morning, I'm like one of those little baby turtles just instinctively crawling to my computer to start to write. I don't ever think about what am I going to do. My whole being just, you know, it brings me to that. But why I say that in the morning before I start writing, you know, I'm brushing my teeth or whatever, and I'm getting downloads. And I've learned to differentiate the energetic signature between the downloads, between when my higher self is actually talking to me compared to the typical like samsaric monkey mind where you know we're all familiar with that where we're just thinking and you know and it's totally unproductive those are two different energetic signatures and when i get the downloads i've learned to pay attention and then at that point i feel like i'm just the employee and i'm getting the dictates from the boss about what I'm going to write about and how I'm going to write about it and how I'm going to connect it to what I wrote about the other day and all those things. And that's an example of cultivating a relationship with the higher self part of you. It's the ego self axis, according to depth psychology. That's the point of therapy. When you read Jung, is the whole thing he was trying to get to in the therapy that he created was to help to connect the person with their guidance, with the higher self, to cultivate the ego-self dialogue and access is what he called it. And it's back and forth. It's back and forth. And the more you take in, you know, just like in a dream, think about what a dream is. It's a compensation. So the dream speaks in symbols. And if you don't get the symbol, the dream will just repeat and repeat and repeat in amplified form. And it's like we're not getting the message from the waking dream, and it's just getting more and more scarier and intense. But when you actually get into alignment with the symbol and the dream and take it in and integrate it, then what happens? The symbol immediately recalibrates itself and gives you the next teaching. And then when you take that in, and it's a reciprocal, it co-arises, the symbol and your psyche that's contemplating the symbol are not two separate things. So the point is to develop the inner relationship between the ego part of you, the part of you that, you know, just the conscious self. And you could say the unconscious or the wisdom of the unconscious or the higher self or the diamond, whatever word you use doesn't make a difference. And that's the way. And then it'll teach you everything that you need to know. It'll give you everything you need to, know, to have. <laughs> well said. And man, as we're coming to the end of the road, we need to save a little bit of time to talk about your practice and your offerings. What should people know about getting involved with this beyond the books that you've written? Yeah, well, okay. So on the one hand, I have a private practice where I, I work with people one on one, you could say. So, you know, that's available. You know, the problem, I'm a little bit hesitant because my private practice is just getting so busy. But, you know, they're still, I'm happy to work with people. I mean, and I really get fed by that too. And then, yeah, besides the books and the interviews and all of that is on my website. But then I also am trying to bring out to people that we can 
be together in a, in, in a way, you know, in a community. You know, I, I, a whole community is formed around me in Portland, and it's, you know, people who are awakening to the dreamlike nature. And there's a way of coming together as individuals and collectively as a community where we can all, like, support each other's awakening and activate each other's creative power and genius and agency. So I have these groups, and they're all, you know, there's a waiting list of hard to get in because there's only one of me. And they're in Portland, Oregon, where I am. But then there's recently this year, an international group has started. And I'm really just open to following the dream because with my work, I mean, I'm very aware that, that I've tapped into something. It's nothing personal, but this is medicine. This can really help people. It can help people both individually in their own personal process and help to alleviate their own suffering and heal their own addictions. And I want to point out we're all struggling with addictions, whether it's addiction to our process or addiction to our suffering or addiction to our story or addiction to the separate self. It's not just people who are having substance addiction or, you know, whatever behavior addiction. We're all having to navigate through that realm of addiction. And so the point is, is that, yeah, there is something that I have no doubt that I've tapped into. It's nothing to do with me. I'm just an instrument. And there are a lot of us who are tapping into it's sort of like the source. I'm just creatively expressing it in my own way. And I'm just wanting to get this out, both for individuals, but also the idea of creating more community, you know, because so many of us are awakening to this and articulating it in their own way. And we can all help each other and step out of the separate self together and reinforce and support each other's creative articulations. That's in essence what I'm doing and what's available on my website. And I don't have a particular specific idea of what that's going to look like because it's an unfoldment that's created. I've been doing this over 25 years, but it feels now like now is really the time. Like Watiko is this magical idea whose time has come. And just like somebody, an artist creates a work of art and they offer it, then it's out of their possession. I have no idea what this is going to look like when this information gets out really impacts people because i'm just an instrument for offering it and we'll just see yes well i think you do a great job and it's time definitely has come because it's never been easier to see this pathology in our culture at basically every level and scale so yeah i think what you're doing is really useful for people and you mentioned future books on watiko coming out what aspects are going to be added to the stack compared to what's already been said? Yeah, well, the next one, the one that comes out in 2022, which I've already given over the manuscript, that's basically pointing out Watiko as this revelation. So really pointing out that it has this revelatory aspect. Because, you know, we think about of like a revelation coming through, oh, I've seen the light. But seeing the darkness is a form of illumination, too. And encoded in Watiko, it's a profound revelation. And so one of the major themes of the book is that. And also, I began to really talk about Watiko, how it affects and informs and influences our relationships. Because, you know, it's not just an abstract idea. I'm sure we've all experienced, whether it's with our intimate partner or with our group of friends or our family, where all of a sudden there'll be this something in the air and there'll be misunderstanding or it'll create separation or people will get hurt. And one way of really understanding when you take on board and go online with the Watiko idea, you begin to see, oh my God, that's Watiko. Here's how it works. And you actually begin to see how it actually insinuates itself via the unconscious of people through the medium of relationships to create separation and misunderstanding and hurt. So that's another part of the book. Yeah, and the thing about Watiko, I just thought when I wrote Dispelling Watiko in 2013 that that would be the end of it. But then little did I realize it was just a never-ending revelation that I had tapped into. Now I wrote a second book, and I thought that was it. And then there's a third book that'll be out next year. And now the fourth book is already starting. And God knows you know, when this is going to end, but I I'm not complaining. Because, you know, it's hard work to get, but when you get it, you want to take advantage and offer yourself to be in service. 
Yes, yes, it's a multi-faced monster, and there's an infinite number of ways to come at it. I yeah, guess yeah. One, one, one thing about it, like just in quantum physics, when they discovered the quantum, which is because com- Watiko is a quantum phenomenon, the image that the physicists would use, it was like they had this weird animal in an ad. They locked it up in an animal house with windows, and they were going around this round animal house, peering in all the windows, trying to describe this weird animal that they saw from different perspectives through each window. And then they were putting their pictures together to try to understand what was this weird type of like quantum animal that they discovered. It's exactly the same thing with Watika. Right on. Yeah. Well, awesome. This has been a real pleasure. Lots of great stuff to reflect on. Of course, your website is awakenindthedream.com. Any other links or final words to leave people with? No, that's really it. Other than when you awaken, when I have those moments of really awakening in the dream, because people ask me, oh, how can I have lucid dreams or awaken in this dream? And I've noticed for me, whenever I have those real moments of awakening, right there is always compassion. And there's never not compassion. And the point is, if you want to really more awaken in the dream to cultivate real compassion, you know, for that supermarket clerk who's wearing the three masks as an example, for the people who are in the positions of power, and for ourselves. And to the extent that we really cultivate our compassion, that is the doorway to our true nature. And I think that's like really a very easy and simple way you know, to understand how can we be of benefit in this world. Yeah. Well, cheers to that. Very nice. Well, I had a great time. Super insightful. Keep doing what you do, man, and take care. Thank you, Greg. It's really just great and so much fun getting to hang out with you. So thank you. All right. All right. Trying to find a method to the madness. Paul Levy going deep. I hope you liked it. He certainly has a lot of disciples out there. So many requests over the last year or two, and I'm glad we were finally able to get together. This new book and The Climate of Our Times both make for great components to a robust Wetiko conversation. You guys know I love the mystics and the modern-day shamans, the people with some idea of how the spiritual dimension affects the world we think we know. And people certainly do seem possessed and obsessed these days. Fear definitely does something to the minds of those it's feeding on, and if ideas and thoughts and entities are real and influential, this would be a major area of that influence. People much smarter than me have taken this very seriously. Steiner, Young, Reich. I even think back to Dr. Tom Zinzer and Soul-Centered Healing. It's a context we should consider when things aren't going quite right. But this was exactly the thing I was getting at with Dr. Stephen Usher in that episode about Steiner. There was a part where we were talking about technology and media being able to affect mass consciousness in a way that isn't exactly natural. So if spirits get strength from ideas and certain ideas and thoughts go global, it's a level of energy suck that kind of isn't supposed to happen. Seems like it could create some very big monsters, and one of them seems to be Watiko. Listening back, I think I sounded a bit thornier than usual. Maybe it's sleep deprivation and crying baby consciousness, but when we get into these topics of dream realities and fear being possession, sometimes there are phrases like, we are destroying the biosphere, or wake yourself up and the world wakes with you, or change your inner world and watch your outer world change with it. And it's just when we democratize the crimes of the capstone cabal and say we are doing stuff, that kind of gets under my skin. But also, I have done so much work on myself since 2010, and I'm not done by any means, but... On the long list of areas where one would want to make progress, I think I can say there's at least a few more drops in the important buckets than there was. You can kind of see it in the archive if you look at the ratio of dark, depressing conspiracy rabbit holes versus real, practical, and positive solutions to live a better life. The evidence of the evolution is there, yet the world is on the brink of full-blown global Nazism. I don't mean to use the loaded term, but camps, medical experimentation, mind control, 
Every aspect we've looked at from those outpourings is going on now, and it's all global. Like, how is that a reflection of anything in me? I'm sure a lot of you guys feel the same way, don't you? And if it somehow is, well, it would be a much better match for my 19-year-old self than my 36-year-old self, so why now? And I asked that same question in several different ways, probably two times too many today. But I do like his answers. I find them hopeful and infectious. Another loaded term. But I suppose we're still in the middle of the story, and time will tell if this leads to something better when you zoom out. Paul definitely captures my attention, though, and carries the hallmarks of a person who has had that genuine spiritual breakthrough, and I have a lot of respect for him for that, and I greatly enjoyed the book. One line I'll probably be repeating from this was that cultivating our compassion is the doorway to our true nature and an easy and simple way to understand how we could be of benefit in this world. Because I have seen such a huge lack of compassion out there from any and all sides. And in this country, that will lead to the divorce people have been predicting. Maybe we want that. I don't know. I just hate to see us over-intellectualize life as a dream and our existence just being a mechanism so consciousness can experience itself subjectively in the grand illusion. Because while we're doing that, the totalitarian steamroll is making its moves, and I would hate to see us turn the other cheek until all four are beaten beyond raw. Really, though, to be lucid in the dream, to me, is to be more proactive in it. So that is the takeaway. The themes like, be the hero of your own story. Because if it is, as Bill Hicks said, just a ride, I would suggest we at least try to take the wheel. And I know Paul would agree. In higher side news, the 50% off gifting subscriptions is still going on till the end of the holidays. Higher side meetups are still being made. We got Portland and New York City coming up this weekend. I hope you guys have a good time with that. If you're in the area, let me know how it went. Of course, today's episode has a second hour for Plus members as usual. Sign up through thehiresidechats.com or Patreon. A good chunk of that second hour was me fishing for advice for all the people who have contacted me and said things along those lines of I was hospitalized and put on medication, I had a schizophrenic episode and quickly learned not to talk about the voices, because I have heard a lot of similar things over the years and I'm curious what that is. I don't think it's a disorder, but some of you might be surprised by the number of people who reach out saying that this episode or that episode of THC helped them recontextualize those sort of textbook getting caught in the system situations. And since Paul navigated that with such success, I know there are people listening who maybe need to hear some of that, even if it is a small minority. I mean, because really, if you don't know someone that they're calling crazy these days, then you don't know enough people. <laughs> But also in that second hour, we talked about Paul's personal breakthrough experience, how to deal with the Watiko captured persons in our lives, how alien abduction might relate to Watiko, how Watiko affects our health and possibly the health of the elite, why all domesticated humans are sick, Philip K. Dick's Black Iron Prison, Watiko's siblings and extended family creativity and parasitic entities, and a little bit about addiction. So become a Plus member and get a lot of great stuff with all the shows I do around here. Maybe today is the one that tips you over the edge. I definitely found it to be pretty unique, and Paul is a very captivating speaker and a bright mind, and I just like the perspective of all this stuff that he gives in the book and we tried to relay in this interview. So big thanks to him and a big thanks as well to those who do reciprocate with Plus Memberships. Couldn't do it without you. Always looking to make the family bigger. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But keep your heads up out there and be your best selves, especially during the holidays. I've done my part. Your move, Wetiko Mind Virus and its thoroughly seduced foot soldiers. Your fucking move. This is important, hear what I said I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth no.
your life oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary dark world, scarier every day. Scary dark world, no matter what you say. Scary dark world, don't think we'll be okay. Can't you see that we're so and wish but we don't have a choice it seems we're stuck here but you can find noses drown out the noise now use that altar and up your magic game and listen to THC you know you go with the entities if you ever see the U.S. don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life oppressed oppressed but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world Did you get the memo? Can't you say that? 